Welcome to Looking for Lincoln Stories, a podcast about the people, events, and places of Abraham Lincoln's life and times. These narratives of real life events paint a picture of the vibrant history of the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. This episode is entitled, Dr. Richard Eels, The Trials of an Underground Railroad Conductor. Helping those fleeing slavery was illegal in Illinois, and if caught, perpetrators could be prosecuted severely. Learn Dr. Eel's story in this first-person narrative and how his tribulations connect to our politicians even today. This episode is narrated by Joe Crane. My name is Dr. Richard Eels, and I waited to get justice for a long, long time. 172 years to be exact. The wheels of justice may grind slowly, but for me they ground glacially. I built my home in Quincy, Illinois in 1835. It still stands. You can see it for yourself. Go on inside when the door is open and the folks in there will tell you my story. But since you're not there right now and you seem like an eager listener, I'll tell you the story myself. began with my fervently held belief that all men are created equal, just like it says in our Declaration of Independence, and my lifetime commitment to battling the evils of slavery. When I moved to Quincy in 1833 from the East Coast, I could look right across the Mississippi River into the slave state of Missouri. Some days I would see slaves working on river boats or brought to Quincy and backed by their masters from Missouri. It was a sickening sight for me and I knew I had to do something, anything, to fight that evil institution. So I started to do something in 1835 when I helped to form the Adams County Anti-Slavery Society. Four years later, I was president of the organization. People in Quincy were already working against slavery even before I became involved. David Nelson was run out of Missouri in 1836 for trying to teach slaves to read. When he landed in Quincy, David asked me to help with a new Presbyterian school he was starting called the Mission Institute. The school included many students from back east who were abolitionists. We teachers and the students all became interested in helping slaves to escape their masters and make it to freedom. In the summer of 1841, three people from the Mission Institute went to Missouri to try and get slaves to run away with them to freedom. Since this had never been done before, the slaves didn't know what to think and decided the three people were trying to steal and sell slaves. They informed on the folks from the Mission Institute and the three people went to prison for 12 years because of their efforts to secure freedom for others. You see, it was illegal to help slaves to escape their masters whether you lived in a free state or a slave state. And although it was a free state in 1827, Illinois passed a law that forbade anyone from assisting someone who was trying to escape slavery. And make no mistake, Illinois held those who violated that law accountable. Those of us who were working for freedom had to be very careful in Quincy and throughout Illinois. Abolitionists were extremely unpopular. Local and state governments passed resolutions condemning us, and we knew that any of us who helped slaves to escape were breaking Illinois law. We were taking big chances by working on Quincy's Underground Railroad. 
Since the Mission Institute was synonymous with abolition, it was only a matter of time before more of us got caught. Unfortunately, I was one of those. It began the night of August 21st, 1842. I heard a knock on my back door. When I opened it, I saw a black man named Charlie standing there with his clothes dripping wet. Charlie had escaped from his owner in Missouri by swimming across the Mississippi River. He had been found by Berryman Barnett, a free black man living in the Quincy area. Mr. Barnett sent Charlie to my house because he knew that I could help. Charlie's owner wasn't any dummy. He would know that Charlie was probably headed to Quincy to jump aboard the Underground Railroad. In those days, Charlie's owner could get the help of the Adams County Sheriff in Quincy, who was obligated by Illinois law to help catch runaways. That's exactly what happened, and a sheriff's posse was quickly formed to search for Charlie and anyone who might be helping him. I knew that my house would be one of the first places they would look because of my connection with the Mission Institute. There wasn't a moment to waste. I got Charlie some dry clothes from my house, and then he and I headed out in my carriage toward the Mission Institute, the place where I taught school and had friends who would help Charlie. But the slave catchers were already a step ahead of us. They saw my carriage coming and tried to stop us. I wasn't ready to give up just yet. I sped away, and after we had gotten some distance from our pursuers, Charlie jumped out of the moving carriage and ran away. With my precious cargo gone, I could do nothing but return to my home. I heard later that night that Charlie had been captured and returned to his owner. I never found out what happened to him, but soon everyone would know what happened to me. I was arrested two days later and charged with harboring and assisting Charlie during his unsuccessful escape from bondage. What I had done made a lot of people angry, not the least of whom was Missouri Governor Thomas Reynolds. Governor Reynolds wanted my case to be tried in his state. I think you can imagine how harshly a fellow like me would be treated in a slave state. I wasn't about to stick around to find out. I used the Underground Railroad myself to flee my hometown of Quincy and head to Chicago. I waited there for a few months, hoping that the Fuhrer would die down. The governor of Illinois didn't extradite me to face larceny charges that were being sought in Missouri, but I was still charged under Illinois law for helping an enslaved person to escape. So I returned to Quincy for my trial in April, 1843. You've heard of Stephen A. Douglas, no doubt. He was a famous U.S. Senator from Illinois. He debated Abraham Lincoln in 1858 during history's most famous Senate race. One of those debates was held in Quincy. In 1860, Douglas and Lincoln faced each other again in the race for U.S. President. But in April 1843, Douglas was both a circuit judge and a member of the Illinois Supreme Court, and he was the one who presided over my case. Judge Douglas found me guilty under Illinois law and fined me $400. That was a lot of money in those days. It's roughly equal to almost $15,000 today. I appealed my case to the full Illinois Supreme Court. I argued that the Ordinance of 1787 banned slavery from Illinois. I lost again when the state's highest court upheld Judge Douglas's verdict. Illinois Supreme Court's majority opinion was written by Justice James Shields. Does that name sound familiar? It might. 
since Mr. Shields once challenged his fellow Springfield lawyer, Abraham Lincoln, to a duel over some anonymous, satirical things that had been printed about Shields in the newspaper. Thankfully for history, that duel never happened. Anyway, back to my story. I wasn't about to let my legal troubles deter my anti-slavery activities. I became president of the Illinois Anti-Slavery Society in 1843, even ran for governor of Illinois in 1846. But paying that large fine, my legal bills, and my candidacies for public office really took a bite out of my income. So did the loss of clients that I experienced due to the negative publicity in my two hometown newspapers. I was nearly broke, and the stress of the entire affair had taken its toll on me. On October 4, 1846, just four years after I'd tried to help Charlie, I died on a steamboat near Cincinnati, Ohio. They say that dead men tell no tales. But my tale continued after I died. The executors of my estate had an all-star legal team representing their interest. One was U.S. Senator Salmon P. Chase, who would later be President Lincoln's Secretary of the Treasury and eventually the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. The other was U.S. Senator William Seward, who would later be Lincoln's Secretary of State. These two legal and political giants stood up and argued the case for my estate and asked that my conviction and fine be posthumously overturned. Alas, they were unsuccessful. In 1852, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the Illinois State Supreme Court's rulings. It wasn't even close, eight votes to one. The law was the law, no matter how terrible that law was, and I had clearly broken it. So I rested in an uneasy peace for more than a century until someone got the idea to petition the governor of Illinois to set aside my conviction. Governors can do that, you know. Just wipe the slate clean. I wish it would have been done while I was alive, but Better late than never, still my descendants didn't get their hopes up. But lo and behold, in 2014, Illinois Governor Pat Quinn awarded me clemency for my 1842 conviction. He also awarded clemency to several of my late abolitionist brothers-in-arms in Jacksonville. Finally, my record was cleared, and it only took 172 years. Well, that's my story. You can learn more about it if you like by visiting my residence, the Dr. Richard Eels House in Quincy, Illinois. I'm proud to say that the National Park Service has named my home as one of the 42 most important underground railroad sites in the United States. It took a long time, but I'd say I finally got the justice I deserve for trying to help my fellow man.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Looking for Lincoln Stories, brought to you by Looking for Lincoln and the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. This episode was written by Dave Blanchett, directed by Heather Fieser, and edited by Stephen Varble. Narration was provided by Joe Crane. Looking for Lincoln Stories highlight people, events, and places from Abraham Lincoln's life and times. These real-life narratives paint a picture of the vibrant history of the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. To learn more about the area, visit lookingforlincoln.org.